Please stand with us and sing our psalm setting from Psalm 122. firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. I rejoice when they said to me, let us go unto the house of the Lord, our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, peace be for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good.
This week, we light the first Advent candle. This candle reminds us of the hope of God's promise, witnessed to by the prophets. From Isaiah 64. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Behold, you were angry, and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, Please look, we are all your people. We light this candle in hope, the hope of our coming Savior, Jesus. Come then, Lord Jesus. Peace. 
Let's pray together. Almighty God, we come to you holding those words from Isaiah the prophet, that as darkness covers the earth, thick darkness covers the peoples, that you, Lord, will arise upon us. Father, we come to your light. You are the brightness of the dawn to our long and dark night. And may your strength and love and faithfulness shine radiantly in our souls. May it awaken our hearts from darkness, from the deep, long night of waiting, of longing, of thirsting. And Father, we come in different ways this morning. Some of us come full, resting in your grace, unburdened by the demands around us. And some of us come perhaps distracted, holding concerns and questions, carrying uncertainties, feeling the weight of our circumstances in our homes, with our families, at our places of work. And Father, may your perfect love, your love that is lavish and relentless, may it meet us in the places we find ourselves this morning. May it meet our stress, our anxiety, our fear. May it meet us in all the ways we seize control and seek only our own interest. May it find us when we feel alone and checked out. But we know that Advent points us to a new reality, a new hope, that the Savior has come and is coming to make all things new. Give us hearts to receive your grace this morning and be changed by it. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. We turn now to our time of confession, a time where we acknowledge with God our sin and our need of him. And we do so knowing that his grace, his mercy is at hand. We'll do this together as a church and then have a time of quiet personal confession. We are exiles, O oh God, because we have each in our own way chosen our own path away from you. We are hungry for wisdom and knowledge because we have too often substituted our judgment for yours. We are lost in need of guidance. Come, Lord Jesus, forgive and restore us, guide and deliver us, teach and renew us, we pray.
please take a moment of quiet personal confession. Father, we confess our sin. We hold close the words of Paul that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. May our hearts rest in your mercy and grace. May it lead us into repentance and be changed by it. In the name of Christ, we give thanks. Amen. Well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Isaiah chapter 9. Please join me. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. As we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ.
The New Testament lesson today is Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. And this do, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. The Gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you be ready too. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be uh, here worshiping with you. And uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of the service, and as we saw throughout, that this is the first Sunday of Advent. And uh, so for some of us, Advent is a, a new thing that we have necessarily part of our background. For some of us, it's something that we're used to celebrating, but it, it's a special time in the life of the church, a chance for us to reflect on Christ's coming and his promise to come again. Um, and we're going to, over the next few weeks, look at some traditional passages that are part of the Advent uh, season. But before we look at our passage from Isaiah 2, I want to mention that I saw around Thanksgiving that Ohio, Ohio, holds the world record for the largest pumpkin pie ever made. That's pretty exciting, right? It was made in 2010 by a team of giant pumpkin growers in New Bremen, Ohio, which is about an hour from Dayton. The pie weighed 3,700 pounds and it was 20 feet in diameter. Says that, uh, the article said, because I just kept reading it, but yeah, the crew used two, 440 sheets of dough and they made a custom pie pan before then cooking it and divvying up 5,000 slices to the community. I mentioned that. I mentioned that because we think of Thanksgiving. Right? When we think of Thanksgiving, often we think of eating food, especially turkey, maybe pumpkin pie, or maybe some other dessert that you might enjoy. We think of that when we think of Thanksgiving, but what do we think about when we think of Advent? 
Maybe, maybe we don't think of anything. Nothing comes to mind. But what do we think about when we think of Advent? What do we do on Advent? Well, we light candles and we'll have special services and events. But strangely, at the heart of Advent is not turkey or pumpkin pie. At the heart of Advent, what we do is we wait. Something that, if you're like me, that we don't particularly enjoy doing. Advent is an invitation to anticipate, to wait, to look ahead. What a strange thing, right? Advent means arrival, and it proclaims that God has come in Christ and that he'll come again. And this four-week season leads to the celebration of Christmas, which we remember that Christ's birth in Bethlehem, but we also look forward with the promise of God that he will come again in Christ to make all things new. He'll come again to make all things new, meaning that he'll judge evil and judge sin, casting it away, and he'll remake us, he'll remake his people, and he'll remake his world. And Advent is a chance for us to think about the fact that we live between these two events, these two arrivals. And it's in this time in between that we, as people of faith, practice hope, and practice waiting. We wait, we wait with an honest awareness of our need, an honest lament about the condition of the world, an honest awareness of waiting for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in this waiting that we hear the, the prophet Isaiah this morning. In chapter 2, we hear a glorious vision, a vision of hope. That we'll read that Isaiah sees a mountain, the mountain of God, lifted up high above all other mountains and all the nations flowing towards it. To hear what God says, to learn God's ways. So let's look at our passage. This is from Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. You can follow in your order of worship. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. My wife wants to hear what I have to say. <laughs> All right, well, let's read. This is perfect timing because we're going to read God's word. So let's, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. You can follow in your order or uh, just listen as I read. <clears throat> the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it, and many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that, he may walk, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Well, this is God's word and it's given for our good. Well, as we look at this passage and reflect on how it leads us in the season of Advent, I want to ask two questions 
The first question is, what is Isaiah's image? And the second question, what invitation is given to us? So what is the image and what is the invitation that's given to us? So let's start with Isaiah's image. The Lord's mountain is established as the highest mountain, the temple of the Lord, the house of God in Jerusalem is lifted up above all hills. This image comes after the first chapter in which the prophet lays out a landscape of deep struggle in Judah and Jerusalem. They're living in the valley of the shadow. They're under control of other nations, and they're not only suffering externally, but they're also bearing the painful fruit of the seeds of their own disloyalty and corruption. And Isaiah speaks of a corrupt and broken legal system marked with inequity and injustice, of widows and orphans deprived of land that had belonged to their families, not offered support by people, by neighbors who could have helped them. In the first chapter alone, God describes his people as ones who have rebelled, who do not understand, are laden with iniquity, who deal corruptly, who forsake the Lord, are estranged, are sick, faint, unsound, covered in raw wounds, desolate, besieged, and ashamed. That's just in the first chapter of this prophet's book. And this list is summarized this way, that Zion, where God had gathered his people, had become like a spouse that was unfaithful like a precious metal that had become contaminated by slag, like a fine wine that had been watered down. The leaders, rather than serving the vulnerable amongst them, simply looked out for their own prosperity. Words, while thousands of years old, invite us today even to look around maybe even giving us language to describe what we see around us or feel within us. Advent begins in the dark. That's what Fleming Rutledge writes in one of her essays about Advent. And she continues, For many years I thought that during Advent one was supposed to pretend that Jesus hadn't been born yet so that we could be more excited when Christmas actually came. It was a revelation years later to learn that the first weeks of Advent look forward to the second coming of Christ. That in Advent, we don't pretend that we are in the darkness before Christ was born. Rather, we're invited to take a hard look at the darkness we are in right now. Unfaithful, contaminated, watered down, lost in shadows. And suddenly, unexpectedly, in chapter 2 that we just read, the prophet interrupts this list, this description, to offer a vision of hope. There is something more than your lack of faith, something more than your corruption. There's something more than the oppressive powers of the day. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains shall be lifted above the hills. Or to imagine that the mountain where the temple of God, the house of the Lord sits, imagine it rising up 
established as the highest of mountains above all other things, lifted above the hills, that be exalted in the eyes of the very nations around it, and that they'll be attracted to it. And all the nations, all the peoples will flow towards it, coming, saying, let us go, come, let us go to the house of God, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. Along with an acknowledging the darkness, Isaiah envisions a time when the nations will willingly converge upon Jerusalem, going up to seek the instruction of God and submitting themselves to God's judgments. And we should be clear that in this vision, it's not the, the city, it's not the people, it's not even the, the physical temple that is ultimately drawing all these people. What is it? It's the Lord. In his beautiful and glorious presence, people are drawn, people come, and they listen. The nation's places of separation and of violence will learn peace and practice it. As I mentioned in the opening chapter of Isaiah, the description of the, the people were all negative. Silver that had become dross, wine turned to water, princes had become thieves, but here in the vision of chapter 2, Isaiah sees a very different transformation occurring. Swords become plowshares. Spears are turned into pruning hooks. Rebellious nations exchange war for peace, and they actually gather together in the presence of God. What is the image that God gives us in his passage? It shall come to pass in the later, latter days. The mountain of God shall be lifted up. Along with this beautiful image of hope, of things being different, it speaks to God's story and where God's story is headed. It reminds us of what God's actual mission is. To bless the nation's and restore his world. That's what the story of God has been telling us throughout the scriptures. In the face of human sin and misery, in the face of darkness and death, God called Abraham and made a promise. I will bless you and your family. And through you and Sarah, I will bless all the nations. God's promise has been unfolding, and we learn it's not just for one person, not just for one family, not just for one group, but God is at work to renew his world and form a people gathered from all peoples. And therefore, this vision, while offering us hope in the midst of our longing and waiting for these latter days to arrive, it's a vision not of escape, but of renewal inviting us to value both the spiritual but the, the physical, the spiritual but, but this world, this life. God pronouncing his world, his creation good, God affirming that all people bear his image. And therefore our hope that the image that's given is not just to get away, but the image is of a healthier, more beautiful, more resilient, more stable vision of this world that God made. A blessing in which we flourish 
in which those who are close and those who are far learn to love their neighbors. Weapons are transformed into tools of cultivation. Mercy and justice is practiced. We learn to entrust ourselves to the words of God. This is the image that we're given to direct the longing of our hearts to hold on to in the midst of the darkness. So the first question is, what is this image? And the second, the second question is, what invitation is given to us? So there's a, an image that's given, put forth, and out of that image then comes an invitation. What is the invitation for us? It comes at the very end of our passage where we read, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Now, it could make sense, right, this vision of all the nations flowing in, that it would make sense that this is primarily, hey, nations, those of you who are out there, you need to kind of get yourselves together and come on in. But the passage actually ends with an invitation to the house of Israel, to the house of Jacob, to the people of God, Jerusalem and Judah. Come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Let us walk in light of this vision. What is the tallest place in Illinois? Reading about mountains and hills made me think, what's the tallest place in our state? Maybe you guys, maybe you know. I looked it up. The tallest place in Illinois is actually a hill. <laughs> it's not that surprising, probably. It's called Charles Mound, and it's a gentle 1,200-foot hill near Galena, Illinois. Charles Mound is the highest natural point in the state of Illinois. Well, maybe we can think of that place, or maybe we've been places where we see large mountains lifted up on the horizon or even walked among them. But if we can picture in our mind hills and mountains, this kind of terrain, I think our passage invites us to think about our life as a journey, a journey through different terrain. And on this journey, there's many things that we can't control, many things we can't control about the landscape. There's different circumstances that impact us, that shape kind of the nature and condition of our path. And along this way, as we face these different circumstances, we, we can imagine that there would be a, a large mountain or a hill that shapes the, the landscape in front of us. Whether it's a place like Charles Mound, just a thousand feet or so, or whether it's a larger mountain, one that's out west that we've seen. The reason these are significant is because such elevation becomes a prominent point on the landscape and the terrain. And they can serve as points of reference as we walk. Think about this. As you, if you were walking on a journey, on a path, you could look and see the, the mountain, see the, the elevation and ask, you know, where am I? Am I going the right direction? How do I walk in the light of that particular landmark? If we can picture that, that life is a journey and that there would be some places that we would direct ourselves around or use as points of reference, it's in that we can hear this invitation. Come, let us walk in light of the Lord. You see, the invitation directs us to think of faith as a map. 
It's discovering of, of a true path of finding life. Come. It's inviting us to use as reference the mountain of the Lord. Recognizing that we're trying to find our way, we're trying to make the right path, and that there's a point of reference that we need, and it should be the mountain of the Lord. Directing us, guiding us, determining if we're on the right way. And of course, there are many other elevations, other points of reference that we could choose as we try to sort our way through this path. There's other hills such as our reputations or money, even good things like our career or how we're doing in school or other activities that we hold dear. That We could hold these as the point of reference that tell us where we should go or how we're doing. It's tempting on our journey to set these as the highest mountain, as the highest or ultimate reference. But we're invited, come, O people of God. Let us walk in light of the Lord. Let us walk in reference to God as the highest of hills. The writer Henry Nouwen speaks of waiting, that often waiting can feel like a desert a difficult space between where we are and where we want to be, between how things are and how we want things to be. Often waiting is the unwanted space, the place where we want to get out of. How much longer? And all of our journeys at different times include such waitings, maybe times of desert. And the invitation is asking us in such times, where do we look? What is our point of reference? What serves as a map to guide us? The map of faith connects the vision of Isaiah 2 with the visions of Revelation. In the last days, in the latter days, Jesus, the crucified, risen, and ascended one, sitting on the highest throne in the new Jerusalem, says, behold, I am making all things new. And those who are gathered around this risen Christ, all the peoples who come and flow towards him, they're described in this way. Behold, a great multitude that, that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white, palm branches in hand, crying out together with one voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. See, in our waiting, in our honesty about the darkness within us and around us, when it's very hard to see or hard to know the next steps or to even care what they are, we're invited to remember Christ as the highest of mountains. To remember the, reverse, the reversal of the gospel. The one who was crushed is risen. The one who was forgotten is given the name above all names. And now he is at the highest point lifted up this is the one that we hold on to when we don't know the next step or where the path is going or why we wait in faith. 
part of this reversal is that Jesus welcomed those who others did not. He welcomed the stigmatized, the lost, the worthless. He gathers and spends time with all sorts of the wrong people, prostitutes, tax collectors, illiterate fishermen, children, those marginalized by illness. And his stories and his ministries mark an unmerited mercy. And you see within this mercy, Jesus is establishing a new community, new relationships, and he calls this community to follow him, to gather around him, to hear his words and to put on new habits and new practices such as those who are forgiven to forgive, to practice humble service, to whatever resources we have that, that we are to share them generously, and to love as we have been loved. So as God's people, those who are in Christ, come, let us go. This is the invitation. Come, let us go in our waiting, in our walking, to walk in light of the Lord. Let our journey in our waiting and faith, let it be one that gives witness to the promises of the blessing to come. Let it give witness to the mountain of the Lord and let it give witness to Jesus, the one who was low, but was brought up. This is the invitation for us in the vision of God, in the midst of our darkness, to hold on to the one who has gone before and who will come again. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. And we thank you, Lord, that you are good. And we pray, Lord, that you meet us wherever we are this day. Meet us with hope that we may rest and wait with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand with us, please, and we'll sing together.
Father, by your word, you teach us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. But in our current world, it's hard to see that all things are subject to your will. Help us to trust your faithfulness as we sing. The tender mercy. Having heard God's word, we're now invited to come to the table that God sets for his people. During Advent, we're invited to think about waiting and longing for God to act to make all things new. And this table reminds us of what God has accomplished in Christ and also reminds us that God does not leave us alone, does not leave us in our longings that God has adopted us in Christ, given us a place at his table. And by God's spirit, he nourishes us through his word and through the sacraments. So we're invited to come, come being honest about the darkness, about longing for things to be different either in us or around us. We do so in confidence that Christ is the one who has died and risen, and Christ is the one who has welcomed us into his family. 
and who will nourish us and never leave us nor forsake us. So let us come in honesty, but let us, let us come also in hope, not hope in ourselves, but hope in the strength and the steadfast love of God. Lord, I thank you for this table, and I pray, Lord, that you would meet us here by your spirit, that you would nourish us and that you'd strengthen us. Lord, we come as those who are weary, <clears throat> quickly discouraged, who often lose sight of what is good or what is true. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd meet us, that you lift our heads, and through this sacrament that you would remind us of who you are and that we're your children. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Those who are serving, I invite to come forward to the table. Um, this morning, we invite everyone who's participating in the community to come down to the center rows. <clears throat> you can go back on the sides. And I ask that you would hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink as one family. If you're not taking communion today, if you're not participating in the table, I still invite you to come forward. We're glad that you're here. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian or I can offer a blessing for you here at the table. Let's come now to the table of God.
Christ's body was broken. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table of grace, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing as God's people. We praise you, almighty God, because you heal the brokenhearted and take pleasure in those who hope in your steadfast love. Help us to wait patiently for Christ's return and to rejoice as we worship you. continue worshiping through the giving of our gifts to God, to the work of the church. Um, it's a chance for us to respond to the generosity of God. Uh, those, the greeters are going to come forward with um, baskets for the communion cups and also offering plates. If you'd like to give, uh, you can also give through the um, church's website. You'll see information in your order about texting or about uh, using the church website. Uh, also, uh, as the offering plates are passed, just want to take a moment to uh, share a couple of other announcements or reminders. If you're visiting us uh, today, we're really glad that you're here, and thanks for joining us for worship. Uh, there is a time of bagels and coffee after the service. It's in the Waters Cafeteria, which is just right over here to my left. You can go out the back doors and turn left. You'll see uh, uh, glass doors that you can go in. Uh, but hopefully you can stay after, have a chance to, to get to know each other, get, catch up with each other, enjoy some coffee and a bagel. Um, also, just a reminder, if you would like to take a, an Advent wreath, uh, some candles, devotional with you. Those are um, on the back table, uh, the welcome table. And if you are uh, visiting or if you have not shared your information with the church, we'd love to, to hear from you. You can use the QR code in your order of worship uh, or there's a connect card on the back table. Just fill it out and, and I'll follow up with you or we can share the weekly email about things happening in the life of the church. Let's continue giving our gifts uh, to the work of God. Please stand with us for the doxology. <clears throat> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy 
receive God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you.